Exodus chapter 11. Um, last week we finished the uh, second half there of Exodus chapter 10. And we came really to the ninth plague there in Egypt. And it was a plague of darkness. And um, we know in the prior plague that once again with the locusts, Pharaoh you know, said, I've sinned this time. You know, get rid of the locusts and I'll let you go. And then he recanted on it, hardened his heart. And we saw there in Exodus chapter 10, um, verse 21, in fact, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, <clears throat> that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. And we spent a lot of time talking about darkness in the scripture. And it goes on to talk about how the children of Israel didn't experience that darkness. They were in a place of light. The Egyptians experienced it for three days, and it was a thick darkness. And just talked about that aspect of a darkness that's felt, the demonic aspect of that, the wrath aspect of that from the Lord. And, um, you know, it even talked about um, the coming tribulation and all the times of darkness will be in that. And read that scripture out of Revelation, how that, you know, deep there under the tribulation, God brings a darkness, and it talks about them gnawing on their tongues, and yet even after that, they refuse to repent of their sin. And it really just shows the fallen state of mankind and how rebellious man, man is, and really even, it, it, it paints a picture of really men's, men being grabbed by the ankles and being dangled over hell. Because we talked about how hell is going to be darkness forever and Judah talks about wandering stars in the darkness and here's the Lord really even in a way grabbing their feet dangling them over hell and yet they still refuse to repent and it's really true listen there's not going to be anyone in hell that doesn't choose to be there it's just the fact of the matter we also though talked about light and again, how Israel was there in the light. And we talked about the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And how the Lord, again, uh, the promise was given in the scriptures of the coming Messiah, even right after man fell, that Savior that would crush the serpent's head. And how in the Old Testament, they were saved by grace through faith in that coming Messiah. And indeed, Jesus fulfilled their faith in his death and resurrection. And he's come into the world as the light of the world. And even there in John Three sixteen through about 21, 22, <clears throat> it talks about how we're all under condemnation, but when we believe in him, we get freed from that, we're forgiven, we're washed when we come into the light, and yet it talks about the light of the world, yet men hating the light and running to the darkness. And listen, we want to be a people who walk in the light, that point people to the light, and absolutely be a people that are found abiding in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where life's found. After that, we saw Pharaoh, you know what, after the darkness relented, after the three days, <clears throat> Pharaoh saying, listen, you can go serve the Lord, but you need to leave your flocks behind. And before this, he had said, in the other plague, you can go serve the Lord, but you need to leave your children behind. And we talked about how that's one of the tactics of the enemy to get a generation to forget about the next generation and how we have a mandate from the Lord to raise our children in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. We have a mandate as a church to absolutely be reaching out to the children in our community. We have a mandate from God not to have 
the kids in the back watching, you know, at the latest cartoon, they're back and they're being ministered to the word of God. And so Moses said, we're not going to have any of that. The Lord's, listen, for the oldest and the Lord's for the youngest. We're going to go out here together. This time, he says, you can go serve the Lord without the flocks. And we talked about, again, another tactic of the enemy to get people to have the mindset, I, I'm going to serve the Lord, but I'm not going to sacrifice anything. And listen, you can't worship the Lord without a sacrifice. Tonight, you guys sacrifice time to come in here. You say, I'm going to make a sacrifice. It's, it's dark out, it's cold out, but I want to come and I, I want to, to, to make the time. I want to take my time and use it to come out to worship the Lord, to, to open the word of God to minister to one another, and, and I'm blessed you guys did that tonight, it's a blessing to be here, isn't it, can we say amen to that, I think we're in a good place right now, and uh, from there, God's given us talents, spiritual gifts, and he hasn't given us those to bury them, but to use them, and that takes time, and that's something you want to sacrifice, and then he's blessed us monetarily, and in that, we're to honor the Lord. We're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness in all things. And, um, and, and when we buy into that lie that Pharaoh wanted Moses to buy into, he wanted him to say, okay, well, we'll go worship the Lord without that sacrifice. Um, again, he wouldn't have been walking in obedience. And I just encourage you not to buy in that lie. And I just know a lot of people do. They want to say, well, I serve the Lord, but I don't sacrifice anything. I don't give them my first fruits to the work of the Lord. I don't really give them my time. I don't give them my talents or I just do it when it's convenient. And let me tell you, the Lord says to challenge us in this area, to test them. And it's the only area he says to test them in in the whole word of God. And that area of bringing that sacrifice before him in tithes and offerings, whether it be monetarily in time and talents. And uh, we would be wise to glean from that because the, the, there is men that take these truths and they distort them. But listen, the truth of the matter is, and hear this tonight, you can never outgive God. And that's true on this side of eternity, and that's true on the, the, the other side of eternity. You can't outgive the Lord. He loves a cheerful giver. It's an act of faith, and it honors Him and it prays Him. So Moses said, <clears throat> listen, we're not going out without a sacrifice. And then in verse 27, it says, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. And I, I kind of just see Moses busting up laughing right here. Uh, doesn't say that he did, but it just shows how delusional Pharaoh was. I mean, this dude, he was delusional in the hardness of his heart. He wasn't dealing in reality here because they just had nine plagues destroy Egypt. And... Here's Moses walking around untouched and unscathed in all of this. Um, and Pharaoh's the most powerful man in the world, bar none, at this point in history. And uh, Moses responds to him, you've spoken well, I'll never see your face again. And that moves us here to chapter 11. And chapter 11 begins to set up this last plague, which would be the angel of death that would come through Egypt and the angel of death that would take the life of the firstborn of every household unless that household covered their home with the blood of the lamb. And uh, it's where we really get a picture of Jesus, 
the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And the beautiful thing tonight is that if you're covered by the blood of the Lamb, you can know that uh, you have eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're not seen as a sinner, but you're seen washed and you're seen forgiven by His spotless life. And listen, isn't that a good place to be tonight? Can we say amen to that? So notice verse 1 here of chapter 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Now see, up to this point, all the Lord had said that would come to pass had come to pass. From the beginning, the Lord said, listen, you're going to go in and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he's not going to let you go. But I'm going to use that to show my might and power to bring these plagues. And absolutely up to this point, Pharaoh would not let them go, even though Pharaoh's even counselors are saying, let them go, get them out of here. They, they had an agenda to that as well. But you would think after like plague five, it would be, okay, go. But according to how God said it would happen, it did. And so now he says there'll be <clears throat> one more plague and he's going to let you go. And not only will he let you go, he's going to drive you out. And telling Moses he's going to drive you out really is indicating that it's going to be a devastating plague. And indeed, we'll read here in a minute that this plague would great, bring great wailing and great tears into the land. And so Moses had absolutely no reason to doubt God that this last plague would come about that Pharaoh would let them go and would even drive them out. He had no reason to doubt, and he had every reason to believe. And you know, his faith was probably growing just with every one of these events as he was walking with the Lord. Uh, God had been spot on, and no doubt he would continue to be spot on. And uh, just, just for us, for some application for us, and we've talked about this in this study, but listen, God's word is a, is a prophetic book. Listen, much of God's word is prophetic. And there's so many things that God said would happen that absolutely have happened. And God's word has been spot on. I mean, concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ, there's over 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ. And he absolutely fulfilled them to the T. And God did that so that we would know that the word of God is the inspired word of God. We look at around the world today and we see Israel regathered and boy, there's never a time that goes by that Israel isn't in the news, huh? Whether it's with the last guy or now the new guy. And listen, um, I'm liking the new news a lot better than the old one in regards to Israel so far. Uh, but God said Israel would be the center of all things. Israel would be a cup of trembling. That Israel would come together as a nation its own nation, which really uh, it did in 1948. And as its own nation, it's really the first time in 2,500 years because they were under Roman occupation, even when they were a nation before 80, 70, when they were scattered. And just exactly as God said it would, and it's beyond miraculous. I mean, um, we're going to show a video here uh, in the near future called 25 Messianic Prophecies by a man named Noah Hutchinson who's gone to be with the Lord. And... and um, he talks specifically about the transformation in Israel uh, 
prophetically how, how God said it would happen and it's happened. Amazing. And we look around today and Jesus talked about, you know, what signs of the times and perilous times and we see it unfolding exactly as God's word said it would. And so, listen, that's just even scratching the surface on prophecy that's been filled. And so all that prophecy has been fulfilled. Listen, we have no reason to doubt the things that haven't been fulfilled won't be fulfilled, and we have every reason to believe the things God said will happen, will happen. Can we say amen to that? And listen, that includes the Lord coming back for His church in the rapture of His church. A, a very biblical, clear doctrine, and yet a doctrine under great attack today, even in the so-called evangelical church. Uh, the rapture is under great attack, which makes me know all the more the Lord is coming soon because God's word said men would mock him coming for his church and the second coming right before he came. So it's like, well, thank you for that. Thank you. You're, as, as you mock my God and his word, you are fulfilling scripture in your ignorance. And then again, that tribulation and his little second coming where we'll come back with them after being raptured, it's going to happen. And then listen, even more weightier, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we know whoever rejects the Lord won't. And I guarantee you, as all these prophecies <clears throat> have come about and are coming about, that's a prophetic word for everyone in this room and everyone on the face of this earth. You say yes to the Lord and you ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. You genuinely repent and put your trust in Him. You have God's prophetic word that you'll spend eternity with Him and He is not a liar. Isn't that good news? But on the other hand, listen, don't test God, especially with your eternity. If you want to reject the person of Jesus Christ and you want to trust in your own goodness or you think God thinks like you do or I've done, you know, uh, enough good things or I'll just go back to the dust, you're lying to yourself. And listen, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. And you want to try to find another way, you won't find it. And that is a prophetic word for you tonight if you want to reject him. And I guarantee you, it's going to unfold exactly as God's word said that it would. When he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen the way he said it will happen. Verse 2, he says, Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor, neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And so again, they're getting ready to leave. God said one more plague and not only will he let you go, he's going to drive you out and he's going to say get out. Get out. Get out of this land. And so at this point, God tells Moses again to say this in the hearing of the people. You Israelites need to go to your rich Egyptian neighbors. And this was an incredibly wealthy land. And you need to say, give me your silver and give me your gold. Now listen, this was not God directing a riot. This is not saying, listen, go downtown and do a smash and grab. God is not the author of confusion. What this was, was God saying, it is time for you to collect back pay. Because you have been slaves in this land for over 300 years. And you have not been paid properly. 1 Timothy 5.18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. 
and Egypt had been built on the back of his, his Israelites, and they had been muzzled, and they had not been given their proper wages. And let me tell you, listen, God's books always balance. He always balances the books. And God's word talks a lot about corrupt bosses that take advantage of their employees. And listen, that is not just an Old Testament concept. It is a truth that we are going to come to very shortly here, Lord willing, in the book of James. <clears throat> James 5.1, come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded and the, their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which, kept back your, uh, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, and he did not resist you. Now listen, this is in no way saying that if someone is rich, that they are under this type of judgment. Because listen, even in God's church, to have the gift of giving, you've got to have something to give. And so it is not a sin at all to be wealthy. It, what the sin is, you know, when you worship that wealth or you use it to step on the neck of others. And let me tell you, God does not look upon that kindly. God's word from the beginning of the end speaks about this. It's usury, you know, taking advantage of others. And Egypt was about to give back pay to Israel for all that they had taken from them for all those years. Again, God's justice always prevails. Um, if it doesn't prevail again on this side of eternity... I guarantee you on the next side it will. Proverbs 13.22 <clears throat> A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. And let me tell you, the righteous will inherit the earth. And how many people will go to hell because they worship the earth, and they worship the wealth of the earth, and that's going to carry them to eternal destruction. But there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says that we will rule and reign in it for all of eternity. And it will be ours unto his glory forever and ever and ever. So if you tonight feel oppressed, you feel like it's not fair. I know none of us have ever said that right. Especially in our employment. You can rest. It's time to quit worrying. If he is your Lord and Savior... Listen, we're, we are in the waiting room before all of eternity. And we are going to inherit the earth. And we are going to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. And His justice, it will prevail. And that is good news. On the other hand, if you are someone that is stepping on other people's necks, you need to repent of that. And if you're a follower of Christ and you take advantage of others, God does not approve of that. And that is a sinful thing that you will practically give an account for because you might be making more money on this side but you're burning your treasure and your eternal reward on that side verse three 
And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. And at this point, listen, God had given them favor from Egypt because they had favor with the Lord. And God is the one, again, through the signs and the wonders and all that is unfolding, He is the one directing these people's hearts. And, and this is actually a beautiful thing. The people, the Egyptians, they're actually willfully giving over the silver and gold. They're willfully giving it over. Um, and, and no doubt it had to do with them, Israel, having favor from God. And it had to do, again, with the Lord conditioning the Egyptians. Because we know, again, a great mixed multitude would go out with the Israelites that were Egyptians and others that said, listen, I'm not down with this raw worship anymore. I want to worship the living God, and we have a God that shows no partiality. Listen, again, Israel has a special place with the Lord, but God loved these Egyptians just as much as he loved those Israelites. And he had separated Israel in part absolutely for these Egyptians and the Gentiles of the world to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're willfully giving that over as the Lord uh, again directed them. And our God has the capability of doing that. Uh, even in the most stubborn people in the most stubborn situations, listen, if God wants something done, he'll get it done. I think of Proverbs 21.1, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, the king's heart <laughs> is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wants. How much more the king's subjects are in the hands of the Lord. And I think even with that, it's a reminder for us to be praying for our political leaders in this country. And listen, the last guy I prayed for him for eight years. And it's important that we're praying for this new administration and our president. And I'll tell you, just side note. I, I'm, I am beyond blessed and thanking the Lord. And again, I don't put faith in any men, but he, that he has already stopped funding of international abortions. And you better believe that's a big deal. And I, I've, I've been hearing stuff about them cutting off federal funding for abortion. I, I don't know if that's actual factual or not. I, I know they're working towards that. But uh, listen, that, that's a, a, a glorious thing for sure and something we should thank the Lord for. And I think what an appropriate thing when this is even kind of sanctity of human life, month or week or day or whatever, whatever it was. So that's, that's pretty awesome. But let's, let's keep them absolutely in prayer. <clears throat> now, notice as well, Moses, again, had become great in the land of Egypt, uh, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and the sight of the people. Uh, Moses is great in everyone's sight, but in Pharaoh's sight. <laughs> and uh, no doubt they had come to fear and give reverence to Moses. Um, and he had gone from kind of being a joke. It's like, who is this guy? Just comes in and says, let my people go. To really, no doubt, being a dreaded face. And he had gone from being someone that's just talking to being someone that they said, listen, when this guy talks, um, he's speaking the heart of mine and what he's saying is true. And so he'd gone from being a place really of, of, of not being respected to being a place of having this respect. And it's not that we should live for the respect of others. 
Uh, in fact, that is a way of really taking your joy away from you really quickly. If you're like, I must be respected. Dude, you're going to have long days and you're going to have a miserable life. Should we give honor where honor is due? Absolutely. But listen, what's most important is not how the people see you. And again, I say that not, I'm not speaking of, of if you have a, a bad witness or whatever. We're not going to excuse that away. But listen, the most important thing is how the Lord sees you. And I just, as I was studying this, I came to, sec- I thought of 2 Corinthians 16.9. It's one of my most favorite verses in the scriptures. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And his eyes are going to and fro throughout the earth tonight. And I would hope that as his eyes pass this place, he would find some hearts loyal to him. God grant his grace to be found in that place. Can we say amen to that? Now notice verse 4, and Moses said, Thus says the Lord, <clears throat> about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt. And uh, it's amazing in Scripture how many things happen at midnight. Boy, a lot happens in the dark. I thought of Matthew 25, 5, when the Lord is giving the parable of the virgins and the bridegroom. And it says in Matthew 25, 5, but while the bridegroom was delayed, all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out, at, go out to meet him. I remember five foolish virgins didn't have oil for the lamp. And the other five virgins woke up and they lit their lamps. And the five without said, hey, give us our oil. And they said, you got to go get your own. And they went out to meet the bridegroom. And, you know, it's a picture of the church. We know the Lord is coming soon. And this is, there's going to be a midnight cry. And let's pray by the grace of God that the oil in our lamps does not run dry. And you look at scripture, the oil in the lamp is almost always associated with the person and work of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's easy to fall in a place of slumber. It's easy to fall in a place where we're just going through the motions. And we talked about this recently on Sunday morning. It is more important than ever that we take earnest heed to the things that we have read concerning the scriptures, lest we drift. And it is of utmost importance that we do not grow weary in doing good. That we know that there is absolutely a crown waiting for us in glory because one of the enemy's tactics is to get us to drift, to quit giving earnest heed to the scriptures and for us to grow weary, for us to lose sight of, of, of eternity and so forth. Because listen, at midnight, uh, that cry is going to go out and the scripture even says the world will say peace and safety and uh, Listen, that's when he's coming as a thief in the night. But he says, we're not of the darkness, we're of the light. Just as Israel was not of the darkness, but in the light. Um, Verse 5, and it says, All the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. For the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant, who is behind the handmill, all the firstborn of the animals. And it says there in verse 6, there shall be a great cry throughout all, all the land of Egypt. Such was not like in it before, nor shall be like in it again. Listen, you're going to reap what you sow. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will reap. For he who sows of the flesh, of the flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows of the spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. He says, don't be deceived. Egypt 
Because some people see this, they read this, say, oh, what a horrible God. God went in and he killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians. Well, listen, slow your roll there. God gave the Egyptians the way out. It was called humbling your heart, acknowledging your sin, and recognizing, I need a savior. I need a sacrifice for my sin. So I'm going to take this lamb and I'm going to sacrifice this lamb without spot or blemish. And I'm going to put the blood over my doorpost so that I am passed over. And my children are passed over. And again, it's not that the blood of bulls and goats takes away sins. It doesn't, but it was an act of faith. And that one who would come, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes the sins of the world. And these Egyptians had the word. And they had the ability to humble their heart and do that. And some of them did. You also need to know this. A man reaps from what he sows. And it wasn't long ago in this Bible study in Exodus 1, we saw Egypt go out and what did they do? They murdered the Hebrew children. They murdered the male children. Remember, it started by going to the midwives and saying, listen, when the Hebrew women are giving birth, if it's a boy, you need to kill that baby. And the midwives, because they had a fear of God, they refused to do that. And the Lord honored them in that. And absolutely, the Lord blessed them and gave them favor. And the Lord protected them. We know that after that, Pharaoh gave the command saying, every son that's been born needs to be thrown in the river. And we know that Moses was hid and so forth, and God's using him, you know, as the Lord gave his parents the step of faith to say, no, we're not going to do that. But again, a man, a nation, whatever it sows, it's going to reap. And this was a bloody nation, and now their blood was being required. Again, there was a way out. It was called the blood of the Lamb. Because if all of us reap what we sowed in our life, Dude, this right now, this right here is a boat going to judgment, and we're all in it. And praise God, the blood of Jesus Christ forgives us and washes us. But again, Romans 12, 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And Egypt is getting repaid for what they did, for what they had sowed. And again, how can we look at this and not consider our own nation? Not only 58 million abortions here, but for the last eight years, our commander-in-chief, one of the first things he did was he funded foreign abortions. And praise God, we are no longer doing that. And again, I'll give glory to God for that. I'll make no apologies for it. We're going to give an account as a nation. And it is a sad thing when you see the women of a nation marching in the street supporting murdering their children. And make no mistake about it, most of that nonsense that we saw over the weekend, that's what it was about. That's what it was about. And I'll take it a step further. Listen, the world's the world. The world's going to do what the world's going to do. I think the biggest fault lies upon the church for being a bunch of cowards and not talking about this stuff. And not rightly dividing God's word. Because we know judgment begins in the house of God. So we do need to be praying for our nation. And we need to be standing for truth. 
And we need to know that in doing that, listen, God protected those maidservants and He blessed them. And we should have more of a fear of God when we shut our mouths than we have fear of men when we open them. Because it's amazing when you begin to open them and when you begin to talk, how, again, all of a sudden others will become they start coming out of the woodwork saying, actually, I believe that too, and others will get ministered to and actually get enlightened with truth. Not only the truth of God's word, but the truth of the fact that that is a life in a mother's womb that needs to be protected. And I would say to all of those angry feminists, what about the 30 million women that have been murdered? What about them? Again, the beautiful thing as well, because I know this is a matter that, listen, it's not up in some community, it's right here. Listen, if you have bought and I have participated, our God forgives and He washes. And I know there's even many in our own fellowship that bought into that lie of aborting their children. They know that they have children waiting for them in glory. And what a glorious reunion that will be. Covered by the blood of the Lamb, forgiven. I mean, doesn't it make you want the Lord to come back right now just to watch that? We get teary-eyed when the dad who's off in Afghanistan comes home to his kid's basketball game, you know, at halftime. Boy, what a glorious thing that we are going to be able to see. Again, even in all this, God is still gracious because he's, he's already talked about this early in Exodus chapter 4 that there was going to be the firstborn of those in Egypt that would pass away. And all the while, again, he's throwing this out as a warning to them. Humble your heart. And now even before, it's still, listen, there's bad news. The firstborn are going to die, but there's good news. Shed the blood of the lamb and put it in your doorpost and you can be saved. It's not a gracious God. He has shown grace upon grace throughout that land there in Egypt. And even today, listen, again, outside of Christ, we're condemned. But the good news is, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And lastly, with this verse, it says, from Pharaoh's son to the handmaiden's daughter, there's no partiality with God. Romans 2.11. God is not impressed with us. Any man in a place of power, guess what? God allowed him to be in that place of power. Anyone that's got an ability... God's given them that ability. Anyone with wealth, God's blessed them and allowed them to have that wealth. He's not impressed. There's no partiality. It's not, well, that's Pharaoh's son, so you know what? He's off limits. But this handmaid, his daughter over here, who cares about her? There's no partiality. And we're all going to give an account before our maker. And again, no partiality and an open invitation. Whoever, it's not a beautiful word, it's all-encompassing. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 6, then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like, like it before, nor shall be like it again. And listen, the great cry would be over death. Death brings tears, it brings sorrow, lamenting. Death is unnatural. God did not create man to die. There was no death during the six days of creation. After each day, God said, it is good. God created man, created man with life, gave man a wife, and they had life. 
And he said, listen, there's a tree here. If you eat of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. There will be separation between me and you. Physical death will set in. We talk about this all the time because we should. It's foundational in understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man chose to eat of that tree, became separated from God. Physical death set in. Spiritual death set in. And praise God, he gave the promise of the Savior Christ. What saddens my heart today, though, is so many people try to pin death on God. There's so many Christians, whether they know it or not, in this day that we're living in, wants to pin death on God. There are so many Christian ministries today that want to be accepted by the world that have gravitated to the theory, and I emphasize theory, the most ignorant, foolish theory you could come up with of evolution saying it's science. There is a, it's not a ministry, they call themselves a ministry called BioLogos. And it's endorsed by everyone from Tim Keller, who's very popular, to N.T. Wright, I call him N.T. Wrong, <laughs> Philip Yancey, you talk about a rank heretic. Oz Guinness, Andrew, uh, Andy Couch, he's the executive editor of Christianity Today. They say, listen, we don't need to separate science from faith. These things back each other. Man, evolve. And they think at some point when an ape became a man and got to a point, God said, there's Adam and Eve there. It undermines the gospel of Jesus Christ because it says God's the author of death. And I'll tell you on top of that, there's nothing scientific about it. Because again, an amoeba does not have the information that is needed for a human being to come forth. You know, there's 150 million differences between the DNA of a monkey and a man. 150 million differences that we know of. That's just what we know of. And I'll tell you, it's never been observed, and science is observation, right? We have never observed life coming from non-life. You can experiment. I encourage you to experiment with this. Everywhere you're going to find life, you can start with yourself. Did anyone in this room just pop up one day? No, your mother birthed you. Life came from life. It's unnatural though, death. But it's sad women try to pin that on God. They undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it, 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 it greatly grieves my heart that men like Tim Keller and N.T. Wright are revered in the body of Christ. They should be put in check and say, go into a corner and be quiet. You undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ. You call my God the author of death. My God is the author of life and everlasting life. I could go longer on that, but I won't. God doesn't take pleasure in death, though I can tell you that. Ezekiel 33, 11, and we're almost done. As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the wicked should turn from his way and live. 
Turn to her from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Verse 7, down through 10, it wraps us up. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Isn't that a good word? And you know what the difference was? Israel believed and Egypt didn't. What's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever? The G word, grace. They have grace through faith. But is it an awesome thing when you know you have grace through faith? Not even a tongue. Dog is going to move his tongue against you. You're in the Lord's hands and that's a great place to be. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, get out. And all the people who follow you, after that, I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. And this would happen. Again, the people would bow down and say, get out. Now notice here, it says, Pharaoh went out with a great anger. And Pharaoh had already said, you shall no longer see my face again. What I'm thinking is, as Moses is talking to the people, Pharaoh's back behind the curtain listening. And he bells out at this point. Verse 9, but the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And again, God, every step along the way, has used Pharaoh's hard heart as a platform to glorify him. And I know there's a lot of hard-hearted people today kicking against the Lord, but I guarantee you, when it's all said and done, God will be glorified in all of it. His glory always prevails. Verse 10, so Moses and Aaron did all the wonders, wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord, <coughs> excuse me, hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. And again, it unfolded just as the Lord said it would. It is always the case. And the Lord really next week will begin to get into the Passover. And you talk about an incredible Old Testament picture of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And indeed, it is, it's glorious. Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this chapter, Lord, that is just so pertinent to the day we're living in today. Lord, I'd open and pray, Lord, that tonight, Lord, uh, our faith has been grown. I would open and pray, God, that, Lord, we have seen all the more your love and your heart for us. Lord, that we would have a people with great reverence for you and yet would also just know, God, that, Lord, we are welcome to the throne of grace and we can come boldly through the shed blood of the Lamb. Lord, we do pray for our nation that your hand will be upon it. Lord, we pray for those that are in leadership. They are not our Savior. You are our Savior. But we want to pray, God, that you would direct and lead our hearts, God, to make decisions, God, that would be, Lord, in alignment with the Word of God. And, uh, Lord, as you know the hearts of all those here tonight, you know, listen, if you're here and you haven't called upon Jesus, you've heard the gospel probably... 10 to 12 times in this message tonight, the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you haven't called on him and trusted him to be your Lord and Savior, call on him tonight. Humble your heart before him. That's asking him to be the Lord of your life, which means you turn from whatever your Lord is. Jesus said you can't have two masters, you'll love one and hate the other. And so it's a saying, I'm I'm not serving this. I, I want Jesus to be my Lord. I put my trust in you, Lord. Be my God, direct my life. I want to be subjected to you, to your word, to your truth. And he'll meet you where you're at. He'll begin the work and he'll be faithful to complete it. 
Lord, bless the rest of our night. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We said together, amen.